All right, this is Jared with Lefty's Precision Rifle Podcast. This is episode 18, and we're going to cover some reloading gear. Now, I've got Chris and Chad, and I've got Mike with us this time. So we've done then introductions for Chris and Chad, but we'll get in with Mike. So, Mike, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We used to shoot up here together, and you you took off and had to had to move for, for the job. So we haven't got to shoot together, but I was lucky enough to get you on here. You, you actually... Oh, yeah, public thank you for giving me the uh, the name for our my last episode. So he, he said he stayed busy. Mr. Keeler stayed busy with people calling me. They had people calling him from California. So <laughs> he, he stayed busy with that. But um, if you want to, you go ahead and give a little introduction. Who is Mike? And let folks know that they might not know who you are. Yeah, so um, definitely a, I would say, a hobby-level shooter, maybe even ardent hobbyist uh, sort of shooter. And uh, kind of got started with, you know, buying a pistol, looking in that realm, and then ARs, and in the back of my head, you know, every, every time you go shooting, you have that curiosity of the bolt action accuracy and whatnot. So, um, yeah, got my first bolt action rifle, which was a, a Savage, and then uh, that Ruger RPR came out a few years back. And I remember as soon as I saw it, I bought it, and I didn't even ask a question about it because it had all the features that were cool for the, the PRS scenario and uh, was shooting over in Conway Springs over at uh, used to be uh, Conway lead distributors and Derek Love showed up and he's like hey you got all the gear to go shoot a match you should go shoot a match had no idea what I was getting into so uh, did terrible my first match <laughs> but uh, you know that's kind of where it all started and then uh, you know I wouldn't just say I'm a I guess I'm a multifaceted hobbyist. I, I'm big into to PRS type shooting, but I'm big into photography as well, guitars, uh, uh, RC airplanes, and uh, 3D printing. Uh, I enjoy talking about gear and reading forums almost as much as I like to shoot. And they just kind of complement each other. So uh, you do all that reading and researching, and then you go shoot or go do a mash to see if it yields any value sort of thing. Um, I definitely say that I'm non-traditional in the way I've gotten to where I'm at. So I say that because start off with the Ruger RPR and then I went to like a Desert Tech SRS to, yeah, <laughs> to shoot some matches. Yeah. yeah, which is not, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of strong suits to that system. But for the PRS world, it's not the optimum uh, system in my opinion for a PRS shooting anyway. And then if you go to a match, you'll see me with tons of 3D printed parts all over my stuff. And that's just part of the uh, gear gear uh, admiration that I have behind it. So I like to come up with an idea, print it and test it out for a little bit, modify it, print it. If it fails, go back to the drawing board and uh, try it again sort of thing. So. I uh, probably don't want to take on my advice on how to get somewhere, but I think in the end, we all kind of end up in the same place. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I met you out there at Conway, you, you were one of the first I'd seen that made the, uh, the deals for loading, for loading your ammo in the AICS. So you weren't smashing your fingers. Like you, yeah. you had built one and one of the first I'd ever seen. And then we got to talking and yeah, you had all sorts of printed gear on there that, that was pretty good. I mean, you you did one for your uh, Kestrel, I remember. You had yep. all sorts of yeah, you had all sorts of gear made up. So 
Yeah, that was pretty cool. So what, uh, so you said you were shooting still when the RPRs come out. So you've been shooting for two or three years probably in the precision. Athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was into bolt actions, just, uh, you know, target shooting. When I say long range, like out to 600 yards, probably a year or two before that. So I've been reloading for maybe a year or two before that, but very small scale, maybe 20 rounds per, uh, uh, session going to the range, stuff like that. And then once I got that RPR and then I shot my first uh, match over in Kansas, that's kind of when it all accelerated in the PRS kind of facet. Yeah. So what, what is your, uh, I know you've got multiple rifles, but what's your major comp rifle setup? Like what are you, what are you running right now? So right now I'm running a uh, 737R impact action on top of a MDT ACC chassis. I've got the Bixen Andy Taxport 2 trigger in there. Uh, the glass that I'm running right now is the Bushnell XRS 2 with the Tremor 3 reticle. And then uh, the muzzle brake. Uh, it's a Harrell's Precision muzzle brake, actually. I ran the couple of the reverse baffle muzzle brakes for a while, and they're, they're really good. But um, a lot of, I shoot with a lot of uh, people that sometimes I do or don't shoot matches, and I got tired of blasting them in the face with the... Uh, the muzzle brakes. So I tried something with more of a perpendicular cut to it. And uh, so far I'm liking it. You notice much of a difference with it? Honestly, no. And, yeah. but I don't think, I, I don't think I have that much skill where I could tell that much of a difference between, uh, you know, reverse baffle and a parallel baffle. There's a little bit, but just my subjective opinion, the reduced muzzle rapport that you get as the shooter kind of makes up for it. Yeah. Yeah, I know that you'll know if you go and shoot a match and they do one of those Oklahoma troop lines where they lay everybody side by side. Yeah. I'll, I'll have people that don't want to lay down beside me. I learned that real quick on the first, my first one because, yeah, they end up the person next to me or even the person next to them was just getting blasted with that Oklahoma dust. So what's the, uh, what's the best precision rifle-related advice that you've been given? Uh, so when you're getting into it, uh, just go do a match. You know, you can read all the forums and geek out on all the gear and stuff like that. But if you're just getting into it, just go shoot a match. It's very easy to be intimidated uh, because when you go there and you're new at this, people are going to outgear you as far as Costco, probably four to five to one. You know, some people have as much in their scope as you have in all your reloading equipment. But that same person that has that much in that scope, We'll do everything they can to help you. I always, I always joke that you actually don't need any gear to go shoot a match. There's been plenty of times where uh, I've snapped a firing pin before a match to my only rifle I had available, and I had people offering to send, say, I'm reloading ammo for you now. You know, if you don't have a rear bag or you want to try a rear bag, or you, you shouldn't let gear be the uh, your limiting factor of you going to try a match. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've told that story where I've had two of the top guys in the KPRC give me their their guns, ammo, everything. I just went out and, and shot it. So, yeah, that's definitely – I don't think we can say that enough, but I, I I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it. So, I think that's the hardest part to get across to people is just to come out, shoot a match. You're going to get beat up. Don't expect to come out and win it, but just come out and get the experience. And it usually only takes out once, and then they're hooked. But. Well, Mike, like I said, thanks for coming on. I think we'll get into 
some of this, so I, I mentioned at the beginning, is going to be reloading gear. So I'm going to try and split this up into two parts. First, I just wanted to do, you guys have been doing this longer than, than I have, and I've hit you guys all up with questions. So I definitely wanted to have you guys on here about what gear you're using and kind of your process. And then I want to do another episode later to where we get into actual like numbers, like what, what you're bumping shoulders to this and that. So I think, I think this would get too long if we did all that in one. So we'll just kind of go around the horn like I usually do and ask what you guys are using. Then we'll put it all together in the end and, and try to give some folks some, some info and what works for, for all of us individually and how we get to the basically the same in the end, but, there's so many ways to get there that they'll have an idea of how we're getting there. So, Chad, thanks for coming on. I guess we'll start with you. Uh, what are you reloading? Like, what are you reloading for comp? What do you reload for anything else? And why? Why don't you just buy uh, off the shelf? Predominantly, I reload uh, six Dasher and six Creed. I do reload a little um, two, two, three. And then I also have all the gear to reload 12 gauge, which I haven't done in years. I used to shoot a lot of competition trap. So I loaded a lot of 12 gauge back in the day. Um, so uh, why I reload, um, if I told you it was to save money, it'd be a lie. <laughs> I think that's what I told my wife when I first got into it. I'm, I'm glad she doesn't remember me saying that. Yeah, so no, I reload one. One, I kind of like the aspect. Um, it may sound weird, but it's a little bit relaxing to me. Um, you have to pay attention. Everything, um, loading precision ammo, it's a lot of measurement. It's a lot of making sure everything's set. So you kind of get lost in it. So it's a, it's a mind break from the day to day. Um, so I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, I also like the tinkering. You know, can I can I slow this down? What's this bullet will do? Will it perform better in my gun? And then uh, if I'm controlling everything, the ammo going into my gun, I'm behind the gun and I miss the target in the match, there's nothing to blame but me. I can't blame factory ammo or anything like that. So yeah, yeah good call. How about you, Mike? What are you reloading for and uh, why, are, why are you reloading? So uh, I'm on the dasher kick right now. So I start off with uh, the gateway drug cartridge, the 6.5 Creedmoor. I think that's, you know, it's a real good cartridge, especially for uh, factory offerings and even for reloading. It's got a lot of components available. And it's a good compromise of, you know, ballistics and recoil and all that good stuff. Uh, but I think for precision type rifle shooting, the only objective you thing you can try to do is maybe reduce your recoil a little bit. You know, so what does that mean? It probably means you're going to go to a smaller caliber, which is a six, you know, and if you look at the six offerings, what do you have? You've got a 243, which if you're running long bullets, sometimes you run into mag issues. Uh, the six Creed, which is a good cartridge. Um, and it's got decent factory offerings, but both of those can kind of be considered barrel burners a little bit. I think that'd be the biggest disadvantage. So you keep going shorter. What's next? Uh, 6XC. I shot a 6XC uh, for a whole season, and it's a good cartridge. The only thing that I was running into at the time is uh, Norma was the only manufacturer for the brass. I think you can do Peterson now. Um, 
and I was having a little bit of issues with, with the Norma brass. And when I say a little bit of issues, I was still getting five or six reloads out of it just fine. I wasn't pushing it that hard, but I tend to like the Lapua brass a little bit more. So if you want to run Lapua, what do you got to do? Well, you can go with the, you know, one of the BR variants or run a straight BR. I did a BRA last year, which it was very consistent, very good. Um, but after shooting uh, 6.5 Predmore and XC, I've had a lot of H4350 left over. Um, so it's a little bit too slow to run in a BRA. And it, you could even argue it's a little bit too slow to run in a Dasher. But actually, I'm, the numbers that I'm getting in a Dasher with the heavier, I'm launching the 109 hybrids out of it right now. And it, it's working just fine. So I've came to running a Dasher really because of my components that are available. And as we all know right now, like the components are pretty scarce. So you kind of have to run what you have inventory on. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. yeah. Chris, thanks for making some time to come on. How about you? Why do you, why do you reload and what are you reloading for? Yeah, so right now I'm loading for six Dasher, kind of like everybody else. <clears throat> um, and today I was testing out the new Alpha OCD brass so that that's what I was loading for and shooting earlier. Uh, pretty promising in the uh, initial test, I guess. Um, last year I loaded for the 6BRA. Um, then I had that little bit of a kick there where I loaded for the 6GT. And I think I, I shot that in a couple matches. Um, and I've also loaded for 308 and 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, but the reason I do, I think it's just because kind of like Chad, I like, I like tinkering around with stuff and, if I was just buying factory ammo and going to the range and practicing and shooting matches, I think it might be kind of boring. No, now having the reloading experience and enjoying doing that piece of it, I, I, I think even if they came out with some pretty accurate factory ammo, I'd probably still do it only, only because I enjoy doing it. I feel like I have more control over, more control over my rounds. And then when I go to a match, I know, well, I hope that I know uh, everything's pretty dialed in, but I'd say that's probably – I enjoy tinkering, which ends up costing me a lot of money. I, if I would just stick with one thing, it'd probably be a lot cheaper for sure. Yeah. Yeah, see, my, mine basically echoes your guys. Like, I, I loved it 6.5 when I had it just because I had, the, I had the gear when I moved here, and I've upgraded since then. But I had the gear loaded for 6.5. Then I went to BR, which I think you can actually buy some BR from, from Lapua or someone makes – Makes kind of off the shelf BR, but I was loading for that. Now I'm doing the dasher, so I got to load for that. But yeah, that's the same thing. Same thing. I like to tinker. I like to. It amazes me how you can throw all these components together and do the same stuff. And like you were showing today, you can get SDs of under three, two and a half, two. I think when we went out and I shot the new dasher, my one, my one load was shooting like a two SD with a brand new barrel, brand new brass. Like that stuff amazes me. So I like to tinker with it. And I think I talked about it with my BR. I tinker with that thing enough. I put like 600 rounds down the, down the uh, barrel before I finally settled on a, on a load I wanted to shoot, which like I said, I like to tinker, but then I get too much use a quarter, quarter of a barrel or a third of a barrel's worth of tinkering with it. So, but yeah, same thing. Some of it I've got to do because I'm shooting a caliber that Oh, I also reload for a 25 Creedmoor. I bought a 25 Creedmoor last year. Obviously, you got to reload for that. So those are those are the ones I'm set up for. 
So now get kind of into the gear. Chad, Chad, you just kind of changed out, but we'll let you talk about it. What are you, what are you using for a press? Um, uh, depends on the day. I've got three presses. So um, predominantly I use the Frankfurt Arsenal, the M-Press. Um, that's my primary press. I have an R RCBS or RBCS, whatever it is. Um, Junior, which is their smallest little single stage press that I like. Um, I have it kind of a connected to an attachment I can take on and off my bench, so it's nice. And then uh, I just recently purchased a Lee APP press, which is actually for pistol up to 223 but I've kind of tinkered with it and it actually works pretty good for my dasher just because of the length of the case. So those are the three presses I run now. I've run, I've run a um, Hornaday single stage uh, before I really liked it. I sold it and then I've run um, um, RCBS Summit. I ran for quite a while and I really liked it too, but ended up letting it go. They got popular and some people knew I had them and asked me if I'd sell them and everything's got a price. Yeah. 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 That new Lee of yours, I need to, you sent me some videos and I know Taylor messaged me said that you might have him purchasing one too. That thing looks slick. I got to come over and get my hands on it before I spend the money on it. But that's definitely a cool setup. Yeah, it's it's different. Like I said, it's it's made for pistol up to and then two two three. So it's it's got a few little quirks trying to reload a three hundred eight base case in it, but it works. I mean, if you just got to pay, you got to pay attention um, because it it feeds the cases for you. So all you got to do is run the arm, and you can run, you know, a hundred cases through it pretty quick. Um, but it'll if it catches a case wrong because of the size of the case, it'll, the spring tension will launch it across the room. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've talked about this before that you kind of get into it and then you start spending your money upgrading to yep. spend less time at the table. And then I, I think that's what you got to leave for is you spend a lot less time sizing. It looks like using that thing. Yeah. Sizing and expanding. It's, it's greatly sped it up. That's for sure. Yeah. Mike, how about you? What are you using for press mainly, or what? What do you? What all do you use? So uh, for brass prep, I do it all on the Hornady APP or APA uh, Progressive. I got there because you know, after doing so much reading, of course, you know you you read that uh, sometimes if you try to deprime the same time you do an operation in sizing, like there's a possibility where the case gets tweaked. And I also read that. Um, mandrel sizing independently from your traditional uh, pull through sizing can lead you to s smaller SDs. So, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, well, I could run three different operations to do this or just do it all on a progressive. So that's what I do. Each stage uh, breaks down what it does. And, uh, you know, does it make a difference? I really couldn't tell you, <laughs> you know, I've, I've done it that way, and the the Hornady APA is nice because it's got the uh, stations to change out, so I can go from caliber to caliber pretty easy uh, without adjusting too much. The biggest thing is if you're shooting uh, 
308 base versus uh, whatever the 223 base uh, rim is. You have to change out a plate. And then uh, for 223, I exclusively just use the Hornady APA because I really don't care about the SDs on it. I just use it for training ammo. And very rarely do I shoot a 223 out to 1,000 yards. You know, it's all 600 yards and in. And for the purposes of that, a SD of even 20 or 30 is not going to make a difference, you know. And then, uh, but for my precision-oriented stuff, I do my seating operations on the uh, Forster coax, just because I read it's a good good press and it, it's very easy to change components out. So I can switch from a BRA to a Dasher and all sorts of things with very easily with almost no adjustment. So, yeah. Uh, how about how about you, Chris? Uh, so for sizing, I use a RCBS rock chugger. I had a RCBS Summit like Chad did, and then uh, a guy at work had broke his or he was looking for one. So I ended up selling that to him, but I kind of tried the middle, uh, maybe the beginning of this, of this year, just changing back and forth between sizing on the summit and the rock chucker and, you know, just doing testing behind my house, uh, the hundred yards I have here. I, it never really affected my SDs or anything. And I would measure my neck bump and stuff. And it, it really didn't, it seemed just, it seemed to do the same thing. So, I didn't see a problem getting rid of it. And then <clears throat> I also mandrel separately from uh, the sizing process. Um, and then the seat bullets, I, I use the Arbor Press for, uh, with the Ellie Wilson dies. But I, I kind of just started doing that in the last couple months. Um, but measuring the seating depth and stuff, I, to be honest, I've, I was doing it on, the, on the, everything on the <clears throat> single stage before. And, I'm not sure it makes a hundred percent difference. I mean, I've, I do know that my, like today, for example, testing that brass, I think I had an SD of 3.03 and an SD of 2.5. And that was, that was net turned brass and non neck turned brass. So, I mean, it's, uh, it obviously works well. I mean, I, I think you can spend a lot of money on a lot of stuff and I'm sure it's really tight tolerance and, and maybe it might, it makes you feel better. Um, and maybe it does make a big difference because, kind of going back to what Mike said, I don't have the experience using the, the more expensive equipment and process. So, but what, what I'm doing now seems to, seems to work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely working. So mine's somewhat same. I, I started out with a, a Lee press. I can't remember which one it was. It was a kit. I bought it like 10 years ago when I was in Alaska and I was re reloading pistol and two, two, three with it. And I had it here and was loading that six, five Creedmoor and I knew I was going to upgrade. So, I actually sold that whole kit along with the charge master and all that stuff to one of my buddies that got into it. And I upgraded to the Forster coax. So I use that for my sizing mandrel and uh, seating, except for the dasher. When I got, when I got in the dasher, I just, I bought that uh, K and M Harbor press and Lee and uh, Ellie Wilson seating die. So I'm using that for the dasher. So I'm kind of going back and forth and I guess time will tell. I don't, I don't think I'll be able to tell the difference between seating on that coax or, or the, uh, the K&M Arbor Press. But I think the Arbor, I like the Arbor Press right now. The little bit I've used it is it's quicker for me. I'm, I can see the bullet while I'm uh, throwing a powder charge for another one. So it's a little bit quicker for me, I think. But, um, 
Chad, we didn't really ask. What do you are you you're seating on uh, on one of your uh, presses? Yeah, I, I seat on a K and N. I'm actually too with the, the guy. I just I just changed over to that also. Um, before that, I used an RCBS uh, micrometer, and I usually uh, seated on that little um, RCBS Junior. Um, just because it was a smaller press, I, I felt I could feel it better. So, but then I, I changed the K and N on Arbor Press. So, yeah, that's the same. I felt like I could definitely feel feel pressure better on the coax than I used to on the Lee. But then I switched to the Arbor Press, and I can definitely feel I feel every little bit. It feels like so. You were saying it's it's just as quick, you think, on the Arbor as it is on the a coax? I think it's quicker on the Arbor because I was. My process was I'd, I'd throw a load for each piece in my little block, and then I'd pull a bolt, put a bullet in, and that's how I knew it was loaded with a powder. Now I'm, I throw powder, I take it out. Instead of putting the bullet in, I'm just putting the bullet in it, put it in the arbor press, I press it. By the time I put that in my box, I'm done. My other powder charge is thrown. So I'm not doing 50 and then going to my, my coax now. I'm just doing one at a time. While it's throwing powder, I'm seeding the bullet. While it's throwing powder, I'm seeding the bullet. So it seems like yeah, it's a little bit quicker to me. I don't think it's necessarily faster as far as seeding goes. No, I think it's the process. Yeah, it, 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 it increases the whole process because you're, you're continuing to load while you're going. So yeah, the question I agree, is, I agree are you guys, uh, if you guys get an inconsistent seating pressure are you guys doing anything to correct it or it just goes in the batch or you guys take a note for for later or you guys do anything with that i don't have i'm not i don't have the dial gauge or anything on mine yet i might upgrade to it but it's a just like you're saying like what am i going to do i've heard of people setting it off to the side and they use that for a closer stage or a prone stage or something like that i haven't dove that far into it yet when i i've loaded a hundred rounds I've shot 40 of them with that dasher and the arbor now and I couldn't tell a difference in all of them but I mandrilled everything it was brand new brass and I even chamfered and deburred it so there was nothing dragging nothing catching on it so I didn't yeah. know a difference I don't know if I will end up noticing noticing difference I save I save all my outliers for the really long stages so I have an excuse when I miss <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the opposite. You've of got a I've lot of outliers, do. Chad. Like, <laughs> what, 90% rate? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I always wondered uh, if I were to switch, because I love trying new gear, you know, would I actually probably put that bullet aside or use it for something? I don't think I would, because I don't think I'd notice a difference, you know. But it'd be cool to see if someone actually did that, came up with a relatively scientific way to see if, yeah, that helps them or not. That's what I've heard. Of, I've heard of people saying that if they get more pressure, they set it to the side, use it on a different stage. I'm not going to try and keep track of that stuff. I know I'm honest with myself, and I know I'm not going to set that stuff to the side or mark it somehow to to know any different. So, so and I, I have, I, I did start doing uh, this last two uh, batches I've done is uh, I, I wet tumble, and uh, one of the criticisms of wet tumbling is it cleans out the neck really well. So there's no uh, powder that's left behind from your last shot if, you, if you're if you used to dry tumbling. Um, and then some people say that you get inconsistent friction between the bullet yeah. and the necks. So I started incorporating uh, 
I think Imperial makes some sort of graphite, uh, graphite uh, lube. It's real quick to do when I started doing it. I, so I my SDs normally are between eight and nine for a string of 10. And with that, I'm down to about six or a seven uh, with my, without changing anything else. So I'm not the most accurate uh, person out there with the craziest SDs, but just adding that one operation in there seems to have helped, you know? Yeah. And I, I think even I figured out, well, obviously, well, this might not even make any sense, but after initial cost of like the coax and the K&M Arbor Press, was I did, like I said, I didn't get the dial gauge. So I got the cheapest one basically got. It's cheaper for me now to buy just a, a Redding Sizer die and then a Lee, Ellie Wilson Cedar die. But I think it's like 20 or, Chris, you might know, it's like 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks cheaper than buying the Redding Type S Sizer and Cedar. Yeah, it's, it's a little probably around 50 or $60 cheaper. Yeah, but like I said, it doesn't really make sense. No, because then I made, I bought the Arbor Press as well, but it does kind of lessen. I think my we can all agree that reloading really doesn't save you anything in the end of the day. No. no. And like I said, it just <laughs> saved me a little bit of time. So that's, it looks that's really good on paper, you know, and that's what your justification is is, yeah. oh, a bullet only costs 33 cents and a couple pennies more for some powder and primer, and I could reuse the brass, but. I think we can all agree, like, you're going to spend more money than if you never purchased any of the reloading equipment just shot all factory. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so what uh, what's everybody using for brass prep? Chad, what are you using, using for to chain for a deep burr? You already mentioned you mandrel. Uh, yeah, I um, So I use a – actually, I use a – for my dasher, I use an Ellie Wilson die. Um, I size and decap. Um, I don't expand with that die, but I do. I do uh, size and decap with the same die. And then uh, for my Creed, I use a Redding um, S bushing. Um, again, same thing, uh, decap and size. And then I use an expander mandrel um, for that. So brass prep, pretty. It's pretty quick. Um, if my brass is extremely dirty, I may throw it in the tumbler for just a little bit, but uh, most of the time I don't do anything. I just, I spray lube on it, run it through the sizer, and then I throw it in the tumbler. I use walnut media. Um, I usually let it tumble a minimum, uh, usually throw it in in the morning before I leave for work, take it out when I get home. And then, uh, and that's with a, a Frankfurt tumbler. And then I expand it and then uh, go from there. So run it through a um, um, Gerard trimmer. So I run it through. A lot of people ask me how many times I trim. Um, I trim every loading, whether it cuts it down or not, just because it, the of the deeper factor. So I'll, I'll, I'll run them through there no matter what. So. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Uh, so I start off with a wet tumble and then kind of to bolster what Chad just said about chamfer and deeper. Uh, so I did find with wet tumbling, especially uh, at one point I was doing it for like an hour and a half or greater. Um, and I've actually taken a jeweler's loop to look at the neck 
And when you wet tumble that long, you will uh, start to peen the necks and roll them and start to build a burr on there, whether you know it or not. So I've reduced my amount of time to about 30 minutes. And it's, uh, you know, looking at it magnified, it's not nearly as bad. But uh, yeah, I start with the, uh, the wet tumble. And then, uh, actually, I have wet tumble after I size. So like I said earlier, I run all my uh, sizing operations and uh, depriming and mandrel on a progressive, each on their own, own stage. Uh, wet tumble, and then after the wet tumble, I use a Gerard to chamfer and deburr every single time. And I've done tests with and without uh, doing the deburr, and that's the only thing I've changed. And it, depending on the caliber, et cetera, et cetera, how long you do it, there is, I can prove to you that there is a difference uh, if you take that burr off of there when you are wet tumbling, uh, for sure. In, in my cases, I was getting up to like 15 or 16 SDs. And then I started doing the uh, chamfer and deburrs and I immediately dropped down to like an eight or nine just with that, that one step. So I think that's pretty critical to do every single time. Obviously, the longer you wet tumble, the more of a burr you're gonna put on there. So that, that might vary with everybody. Um, and then I started adding in that operation where I uh, use the graphite lube for the necks recently for part of the brass prep. And uh, that, that's pretty much all my brass prep. How, how, about, how about you, Chris? It sounds like it's gonna be the same, but you probably do a little bit of stuff different. Um, yeah, so I think I anneal my brass like maybe every other, every other firing. I, I probably anneal more than I, than I have to, but the first thing, first thing I do is anneal it. If it's, if it's one of the times I'm annealing it, um, then I'll, I size and deep prime before I tumble it. I know some people will tumble their brass or clean it before they, before they do that. Um, I do clean my resizing die out probably every other, every other time. Um, and then once I do that, I, I'll, I wet tumble also, um, but I use a Southern pine media. Um, and I only, I only wet tumble for probably, I probably average 12 to 15 minutes. Um, and then I pull it out, take it out of there. Um, I, I put it in a food dehydrator and that's how I dry it. So I usually, I'll usually, uh, tumble it in the evening, throw it in a dehydrator, let it sit in there overnight. Um, I actually found that it only takes a couple hours for it to dry. Um, but just to be, just to make sure it's dry, I'll throw it in there usually in the evening. Um, once I take it out of there, I'll, I run it through the expander um, before, cause I use, I use a Henderson trimmer to trim my grass. So it helps a little bit with the Henderson. If you expand it, run it through expander manual before you, before you put on, use the Henderson. It seems to fit over the, fit over it a little bit better. Um, and then once I trim it, then it's uh, pretty much from there, you're, you're ready to start loading, but uh, that's pretty much the process. I, I pretty much keep it all the same. I, the Henderson's pretty easy to, I mean, there's, it isn't like the, the other one where you have the different, you know, attachments you got put in there. It's, it pretty much uses a, a stop and then you, you get a whole bunch of them. And once you set it for the caliber, you just take it out, screw it back in. And I mean, you can swap out for calibers really fast. Um, and I use, I use a Sinclair expander mandrel. 
um, I, I wet tumble with the Bortec case clean. Um, and then tried was well, you, you and Chad know, I, I got some of the Peterson dasher brass and we were talking about how the, the neck on that is really thick. I think it was like 14 thousands, um, on there. So I ended up getting a K and M neck turn. I turned all the brass on that. Um, ended up shooting the KPRC finale. It shot awesome. Um, trying out the new alpha brass right now, the, o the OCD brass, which I can already tell a major difference between the old alpha brass and the new brass. Cause I was running powder charges up with Varga today that would, would have pressured out immediately with the old alpha brass. Um, and I was able to, able to push it up there pretty, pretty good, but I'm still pretty impressed with the Peterson brass. Cause I think I was running 109s at, I think at the finale, I was running 109s at 2890 and virtually no pressure whatsoever. I mean, there was, there's was no pressure signs on the brass or nothing. And when I was running alpha before with a dasher, that was, that was virtually impossible. Um, but that's pretty much my, my brass prep process. And the Henderson does the, you know, trim shaper to burr all at once. But like Chad said, I do it. I do it every single time, even if it doesn't trim anything off there, just, just to make sure it's getting any nicks or anything from tumbling in the steel media. But. Yeah. Same thing. I, well, I got a drawer Gerard trimmer too that I, that I use for all my stuff. I have my one, blade my six mil blade and then I obviously switch out the different cartridge tops on there so it keeps it pretty easy uh, use a Sinclair mandrel like the majority of you guys as well and then you guys kind of got into it but uh I think I think I have my processing on the on process on the back where we'll kind of go through the step-by-step -step for each of you but what do you guys do for uh, annealing right now so I have an Anneles, one of the first gen ones that had little rubber wheels on it and is all hard. I had to actually snip part of the metal off there to get it to do a BR case so small because it didn't have the little finger one that, that they have on there now. And I put a the little gauge in there that tells how fast the, I don't even know what the hell it's called, how fast it's going, the motor's going, so I can keep that the same. But I do that. And I have been doing that every firing. I know some people don't do it, but every two, second or third, I don't know if it helps at all, but my idea is just to do everything the same every time. So I just anneal it every time before I size, but we'll get more into the process that each of us do. But Chad, how do you anneal your stuff? Um, I use an annealies also. Uh, mine's a newer gen though. So I, I already had the, the LED screen in there and then you know, the, the speed adjustment. Um, I've actually converted mine too. I pulled out, the, you know, they got the plastic gears. I pulled the plastic gears out, put metal gearing in, and then uh, made some aluminum wheels for it. I plan on getting with uh, Jake Sure eventually and getting a set of his wheels. They'll, they'll probably be a little bit more consistent than mine. Mine work, but, um, and that's because of the dasher also. Just, I was, with the dasher when I was annealing, I could do about maybe 20 cases and my wheels would get hot. So I'd take a break. Now I'd, I'd just, I'd throw them all in there and let it run. Yeah. Yeah, on, on mine, I had to cut that little lip off where the flame, kind of where it would, where it would roll. I gotta take pictures. Mm -hmm. And then I even bought a second set of wheels and ground the back of them off to make them shorter because I was, I had melted one, the outside <laughs> ring of, of one of those rubber wheels or plastic, whatever they are. 
wheels. I should have got with Mike and had him print me something up. I could print it. I could print them. <laughs> he could have done it probably a lot easier, quicker, and cheaper than what I did. But anyway, Mike, what are you using to anneal? Uh, I've got that first gen uh, annealies, but I don't really spend too much time annealing. Uh, I more or less will anneal my buddy's brass before I do mine. Uh, a lot of them shoot the uh, six five Creedmoors and stuff, so if they don't, they end up splitting their necks a lot of time. But um, I've done some tests trying to do, uh, trying to evaluate how effective annealing is, and I just say it's inconclusive from what I've been doing. And that might be because of my reloading practices too. Uh, obviously, if there's a lot of top end shooters that are annealing, there's something to it. I just haven't gotten my practices consistent enough to to see an effect. So, as of right now, I I don't uh, anneal, especially on the. It might be a problem with the BR variants just because you can get such good brass life out of it. That might be a factor, but I've got 10 reloads on some BRA brass and they haven't split yet. And the SDs are still holding good. So I'm, I'm going to go till I start getting problems and reevaluate at that point. Yeah. Chris, what do you, I know what you're using, but I don't know if everybody else <clears throat> knows what you're using. Yeah, so I pr I pretty much just looked at the the Neil Z's like you guys are using, and I just built one. Um, it's virtually <laughs> it's virtually the same. I mean, same concept. It has the two wheels that holds the brass. It has a it has a dial on it, so you can remember the number that you you know you set your your speed to. Um, but yeah, I just built. I think it cost me other than buying a couple like a sheet of. I, well, I put a piece of plywood on it, and then I, I kind of popped everything out a little bit to get it further away from the wood just so it wouldn't get too hot. But I think I've been using that thing for two years now. I think it cost me – I think it cost me $35 to build it. I bought, I bought like, a high-power uh, or high-torque, low-speed motor off of Amazon, a couple of pulleys, and a, uh, some metal rod. And I ordered the wheels from uh, the place you guys bought yours. And I've been using that thing for a couple of years, and it works – it works fine. So, I mean, it's the same concept. I, I probably over anneal. Um, I actually used to anneal every firing, but I've kind of backed off. Um, I'm probably, I said every second firing, probably around every three or four now. And, and I haven't, I haven't really noticed the difference. Kind of like Mike was saying, I haven't, I didn't, I don't notice the difference from when I was doing it every time to, to doing it every three to four times. I haven't. I haven't seen my SD spike. I haven't had flyers. I haven't, I haven't seen anything, which um, I'm, if I'm missing stuff, it's probably because I suck. Not because, <laughs> not because of my annealing process. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely same here. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I probably, I'm sure. Well, I would say I over anneal. I probably anneal more than I got to, but like I said, I try to keep it all the same. Just, just keeps me somewhat sane. If I'm doing it the same every time and I don't, forget a step or miss a step but what else do i got on here uh oh tumbling you guys covered some of it chad what are you using for what are you tumbling dry tumble what tumble uh i dry tumble and i use uh i use that frankfurt arsenal with um walnut media um, i used to use corn cob but i got sick of digging it out of primer pockets so i use walnut um, i do have a wet tumble with um the same thing as Chris with a Southern shine or um, I use it. Oh, 
I don't know. I, I got to be in the mood to do it because I hate dealing with the stainless steel. So. Yeah, Mike, you but, said you uh, you wet tumble. I wet tumble every time, and in my opinion, it's way faster as long as you don't care about the drying time. If that's not a factor, so if you do it in two separate operations, uh, you, where you allow the brass to dry, it in my opinion, it's way faster and way less painless to wet tumble than dry tumble. Um, so what I use uh, now, I use the uh, Bortec uh, cleaning solution. And that, that solution has gotten me to go taking my brass from like a two and a half hour or an hour and a half of wet tumble time down to like 20 minutes and comes out great with the Bortec. Um, and then I've used the steel pins and there's also another company that have, um, I forgot what the company's name is. It almost looks like steel shavings instead yeah. of being steel pins. It's, it's smaller in granularity uh, I stopped using that one just because it was harder to separate those little shavings and the pins because the pins are larger. So um, I do a 20-minute, 30-minute uh, run on the wet tumble, and then I use a uh, rotary separator where you actually spin it. That's where your time saving time saving is, is because I just I'll spray it down as I'm tumbling, and the steel media separates from the the brass really easy. And the only time I get a little bit of problems uh, with that is on a Creedmoor. The pins that I use are exactly the right size where every one in every 30 rounds, one of the pins will uh, show up in the next. They turn sideways and get stuck. They turn sideways and they just barely, I mean, they're, and sometimes you find out when you go to dump your powder sort of thing. <laughs> oh, so you should definitely expect, you know, I don't think you want to launch one of those down your, uh, down your, your tube. But with the six mils, I don't have any problem with it. So, um, and then I use um, a dehydrator, kind of like Chris does, uh, to dry. And generally, to be safe, I'll do it for about two hours in drying, and then and then call it good. And then I'll do my uh, powder and all that other stuff on a completely separate day. But I mean, I can get it done in about 45 minutes with very little inspection through the process. Yeah. How about you, Chris? I, I'm pretty sure I know what you're using too. But. Yeah, so I kind of the same thing as Mike. I, I use a wet tumbler with the Bortec case clean. Um, and I do have a dry tumbler with some walnut media in it. So if I'm doing, like for example, today, I, I wanted, I noticed with the uh, Peterson brass, there was a huge difference between the pressure on the Peterson brass between the being a virgin brass and the second firing. So I kind of wanted to do the same thing. So if I, if I go fire a virgin piece of brass and I want to try, you know, I don't have any once fired brass. I want to go ahead and turn around real quick and fire it again to see, just get an idea what the pressure is like, not necessarily accuracy or SDs or anything, but just cause you know, you size it, you put some lube on and things like that just to get the lube off. I'll throw it in the, in the dry tumble for 20, 30 minutes just to get it off. And then, um, and then run it. But, kind of agree with Mike I so I ended up I used to do I used to have a, a tumbler separator for the media but I ended up buying the two tray system that has you put the brass on the top and it's got the the really small wire on the bottom because I use the southern pine media um, but you dump your brass on the top and you just shake it and all the all the all the steel falls right through into the the, the bottom then you can just kind of separate that to the side and then you just I just run it under some fresh water and just you know dump the southern pine out of there and I can probably 
I can probably do a couple hundred cases and you know, once I'm once I get it out of the tumbler, it probably takes me like twenty five, thirty minutes and then throw it in the dehydrator and and it's and you're done with it. I would I would say if you were if you were in a hurry, you could probably go faster wet tumbling into a dehydrator and have have fresh, clean, dry brass ready to go where if you threw it in a dry tumble, it's gonna take take a little bit of time just for that walnut media to clean it up. But um, I've been wet tumbling for a couple of years. I kind of stopped doing it. When I was shooting six five cream when I first started, I was doing it. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been wet tumbling for a while. So I think the biggest factor with wet tumbling that I like is I can get the brass shinier. And why is that important? It's because when you go shoot a match and you're looking for your damn brass, <laughs> you don't do a good job. You're going to be spending a lot longer trying to find your dull brass. And by the way, all your friends are going to make fun of you at the match for having dirty brass, <laughs> which is just as worse as missing a shot, in my opinion. They, they, so. only, do that. they only do that once. <laughs> <laughs> only once to your face, Chad. That's, that's fine. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah, so I, I was, I had always dry tumbled, and I got here, and I burn up a tumbler. Well, it burn up, it quit, whatever. So I went to wet tumbling, and I was having problems. I talked to Chris, of course, Mister Kansas Arm Supply, so he hooked me up with the Bortec. That stuff was working great, and I used those shavings. I think what you you said the name of them, Chris, I think Southern Southern Pine Media. Yeah, they're like those little shavings that Mike was talking about. Using those, and it was work. It works good. I need to come see what kind of bin you're using because I was doing it. I have a sink in my laundry room, and I dumped the stuff out there. Obviously, the water's all nasty. Dump it out, but then I was handling every case, trying to get those little tiny, tiny chips of metal out there. So it wasn't taking me any any quicker. It wasn't any quicker for me. And then I've got an old school dehydrator, and I put them in the dehydrator. I think the dehydrator almost bakes them because they would come out even darker. Then when I put them in there, so I think it was actually warming them up and turning colors or the chemical or something. So it wasn't as shiny as I like. So I ended up going and buying another dry tumbler just because I'd done it. And I, so I, I have both setups, but I'm dry tumbling right now when I do. Go ahead, so Mike. Chris, on that, uh, have you tried the steel pins before or did you just always start on the Southern Pines Media? Um, I, I, I had the steel pins. Uh, I got tired of them getting stuck in the necks and things like that. I, I mean, they work fine. I, I think they work fine. I mean, I don't, I'm not really a – I think I read about the Southern Pine Media and I wanted to try it and um, didn't really have any issue with anything getting stuck. I'm, I think the pins work fine too. And like you said, it's it's only like every few – maybe a couple pieces of brass out of a, out of a couple hundred – I feel like that Southern Pine Media cleans the primer pockets a little better, but I'm not sure if that really matters, you know, how clean the primer pockets are. But uh, I think I just started doing it, I think, probably a year and a half now. I've just been using it, and I just haven't switched back. I still have all the steel pins, um, but it seems just as easy to me using either one. So if companies are listening, they should make longer pins, right? Because then they won't get yeah. stuck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Longer or shorter, I don't know. Longer. Yeah, yeah, I don't know which one. But um, for a six five, sometimes they're like, you couldn't fit them in there if you tried with a pair of tweezers. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, So, did you did you get any of those uh, pins stuck in your six mil, or because I I have yet to get one stuck in a six yeah, mil. But... Yeah, that's what I was loading. Uh, yeah, I had a couple. I had some that were just the right length, and they were getting stuck inside the 
and that's that's the lineman pin so i don't know what what yours are but i would probably two or three pieces and i mean they get stuck in there pretty good so you'd have to get you know something to grab a hold of them and pull them out but um but it wasn't a lot maybe like three or four pieces out of a couple hundred or hundred pieces of brass but i when i i saw somebody on facebook i think talking about that southern pine media and i tried it out and it, it seemed to work so i just kind of stuck with it i guess i've I I could probably use either and it'd be fine. So the, the good thing I was seeing with the Southern Pine Media is I could run it longer and get less of a deburring or burring effect on my necks, and I think that's just oh, attributed right. to because they're more fine uh, granules than the the pins yeah. are. I think the pins carry a lot more energy to peen your necks a little bit more. But and that's kind of why I went down to that twelve to fifteen minutes because I. I did the same thing you did when I first started tumbling. I think I ran them for, you know, you, you're so used to dry tumbling forever. And I think I, I, I think I went like almost an hour and I think I ruined, I mean, thank goodness I only put like 50 pieces of brass in there, but I mean, I rolled the neck so bad on some of them that I just, I just threw them away. They weren't even, you couldn't even fix them. I tried trimming them up real short and you could still feel the edge was, you know, still had an edge on it. And so, but I know with the Southern Pine, I feel like, 12, 15 minutes and they're completely clean. I mean, even the primer pockets are clean, so I just pull them out uh, and just go with it after that. But All right, so I wanted to we'll, – we'll put this one into two. So what are you using – Chad, what are you using to prime with and what is your process? You kind of covered it, but, like, not get deep into it, but just step by step. What do you do? You have a dirty piece of brass for a match. What do you do? to get you all the way back to load it again? And what do you use for a priming tool? Okay, so I just, I run it through the sizer. Like I said, I'll run it dirty because I clean mine out just like Chris. So I run it through the decap and size, clean it, and then deburr, um, do the deep or expand, then deburr, and then I prime it and I use a RCBS uh, bench primer um, with a Holland's Perfect Prime system. So it, it, I can adjust the depth of my prime, how far the pr uh, primer seats. Um, so I prime it and then run it over and dump powder and see the bullet. Oh, one other one, what are you using for powder? What are you throwing your powder with? Um, I throw my powder with, um, the auto trickler auto throw system um, on the FX. I, I have the 200 uh, scale. So it, it throws the powder. It kind of does it all automatically for me, measures it out. So. And are you using the version three? You can use your phone? Yes, I, I got the Bluetooth version three. I think slick. Yeah. Mike, what do you, what's your process? Uh, so first I, Take the dirty brass and I uh, normally I wipe out off the outsides with the rag because after you shoot a match you get dust and stuff stuff stuck to them and I don't like running that in my my dies. First station is a Lee deprimer because it works for both large and small uh, rifle primer pockets, so I know requires no adjustment there. Uh, then the side it goes into the sizing. And most of the time it's a Harold's die, which they're not, I don't think they're that well known in the PRS shooting world, but uh, you can actually get them. You send them 
three pieces of three times fired brass and they'll cut you a die for, I think it's like 80 bucks. Uh, and their dies are really good. And if it's not one of those and it's the Foresters, and even on the Foresters, uh, I think it's like $20, you can get the next honed out to pretty much whatever you want, which, which is, um, so if you're under the mentality of having a floating bushing, I like the Heralds. And if you're under the uh, non-bushing dies, I like the Foresters. So it kind of depends on what my, my thought or flavor of the week is there. Um, and then after that, I run that the uh, next through. Oh, and I have the, um, I pull out all the um, neck expanders in the full length sizing dies because I do all my full length sizing on the Sinclair. I uh, recently tried, they have the stainless steel and then they have um, a carbide one. I actually like the carbide ones a little more. I feel like they slip a little bit easier on the brass than the, the stainless steel. And then once I get those, you know, I obviously I wet tumble. Uh, priming, so I used to use the, I, I used the leaf for a while. Um, and I was shooting what, six XCs and six, five Creedmoors, which are all large rifle primers. And then I got onto the Peterson brass and uh, six, five Creedmoor. And at the time, I don't know if they switched it since then, those primers were really hard to put in with a Lee hand press. Um, so I switched to the RCBS bench mount and that was a lot easier, but it was a lot slower. And it's because you have to load that dang primer tube. Yeah. Um, and then every time you pull the lever down, uh, one of them will put a primer in there. And then the other time you push it down and lift it back up, it puts a primer in there. So essentially you're lifting the lever twice to put one primer in once. Um, and then now I'm on the Franklin Arsenal um, hand primer, which has got that adjustable mandrel in there. And I'm really liking that one. It offers a lot of uh, leverage. So it doesn't really matter if I'm running smaller, large rifle primers. It's adjustable. So in theory, it should be more consistent. Is it more consistent? I can't tell you. I haven't actually tested it, but in theory, it should be. Um, and then it's quite a bit faster just because the primer tray does a good job in loading your, your primers and it's ready to go. All you need, all you need is a Frankfurt Ar Arsenal tube loader, man. I have one. I used to, yeah, before I had that, it was a huge pain. I got the tube loader and it, it's, it, it, yeah, it definitely picks up your speed to use that tube loader, but that's just another dang, you're still loading a primer tray to load it into a tube to put it in the machine. So the hand priming is definitely faster. You got to load a primer tray for a hand loader. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, it's a little bit faster and theoretically a little bit more, it can be more accurate maybe, I don't know. So I'm using that Franklin Arsenal one now. I use the uh, auto trickler for the powder and then uh, for seating, I use the, uh, like I said earlier, the Forrester coax and most of, almost all my seating dies are the uh, Forrester seating dies, whether the micrometer or the bench rests, I like them all. Chris, how about you? So just like, what am I using the seat primers with? And powder? All your process. So I think we're all <clears throat> almost all the same, but your process yeah, step by step. 
Yeah, so I, my, for my sizing, I use uh, Ellie Wilson full-length bushing dies uh, for the dasher. I do actually do use a Harrell's for um, my BRA because I'd sent in a piece of the brass for when Dornbush was cutting those, cutting that barrel. Um, so I do have that sizing die for the BRA, but right now I'm using Ellie Wilson. And it seems to, for for the current barrel I'm using, which is, well, even the last barrel, which was a, a Bartland cut by a pair of DM, I'm using a proof research prefit right now. And it seems to uh, size just fine for that as well. And I, I don't feel like I have to bump the next back as much. It, it works pretty good. Um, but as far as primer seating, I'm just using RCBS hand primer. And I've done that since day one. I've never used anything different. It's actually the the one I originally bought. Um, I just changed out the plunger for a large rifle primer, and I've never had I've never had enough issues with SD ESs or anything like that to ever consider changing it. I just see them all. I see them to the bottom every time by fill, and I think I've you know I don't know how many I don't know how many primers I've seated at this point, but it's probably I guess probably ten or well maybe more than twenty thousand. I just feel like I can feel it, and then. I can feel when the primer pocket started to get loose or, you know, maybe uh, it's time to throw the brass away, but I've done it that way since, like I said, that's the first primer sear that I bought and I've literally used it for every piece of uh, brass I've loaded to this point. Um, and then for powder, I use the A and D scale with the auto throw auto trigger. Yeah. Um, probably the one thing, if I'm going to change anything, I, I, I wouldn't mind having a, another powder something else to throw powder with because that seems to be the slowest part of loading uh, you know because i can even using the arbor press I, I can i can drop a charge and i can you know you can you can move your arbor press right next to where you're at which you don't want to get too close because then you mess up the you know the scale but i feel like i can walk over see the bullet put it and i still kind of sit there and wait a little bit and it would be nice to just have two scales going so that you know you can you can load really fast and especially if you're shooting a two-day match it just seems like it you spend more time waiting on your powder charge than anything. Um, and I use a Sin Sinclair expander mandrel. Uh, and I use Ellie Wilson micro sear die, obviously, with Arbor Press. But, yeah, it's kind of, you know, when you talk about it, it seems like a really simplified process. I guess if you throw in all the other load development process and things like that, it goes into it. It seems, more, seems like a lot more work. But once you have everything dialed in, it's, it seems, seems to go pretty quick. I guess, but yeah, yeah, mine's so, go ahead, uh, so on the auto trickler, Chris, do you use two cups or one cup? Oh, uh, one. So that's uh, one of the things that I do is, uh, I match weighted two cups for the same machine. And uh -huh. what you do is you throw your one cup in, right? You have the other one on standby. It fills. And as soon as it fills, you switch the cups uh -oh, that's and you dump. Idea. And as you're dumping, the auto trickler is working. It's still, you can still see the bullet faster than you can, than the auto trickler will dump, but it definitely increases your speed. Oh, that's a good Just idea. guessing about 30, 20%. And so if you're going to do that method, you'll get to a point where you literally, the, the A and D is so effective at, you know, weighing that if you're trying to match weight, you actually have to like sand, <laughs> If you try to cut, yeah, if you try to actually cut it with an exacto, which I tried for hours <laughs> to get it right, you, I ended up with a, you know, handle pretty long and then just like you're uh, carving into a piece of wood, 
just go go get a sander or a Dremel and just really lightly hit it. Um, but that'll okay. save you a lot of time. That's a good idea. I'll try that. Yeah, I'll try that one too. I didn't even think about that. But I got that idea. That that idea was from uh, I think it was Mike Beamer. Not an original idea for me, but uh, oh, cool. I've used it for years and it saves you a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, that would I'll be. try that out. That's a little cheaper than getting another scale. Well, and so when I ordered mine, uh, granted, this is a long time ago. I don't know if he still does it. I tried to order another cup and uh, couldn't do it. So I called the guy and he sent me one for free at the time. Maybe he doesn't do that anymore because he can't keep up with orders. But it, uh, he, he sent me one for free when I asked him. So. Yeah, yeah, I'll try that. I'll have to put that one in the rip for Try it. My process is basically the same. You guys, like I said, I was I'm annealing every time, so I kneel when I get home, and I run it dirty just because I want I only want to clean it once. And I would like to say I take my sizing die apart, clean it every every other time I load, but it's probably not. It's probably every four or five times I take it apart and clean it out with a ear swab or whatever. And then, yeah, I'm just sizing and depriming, but I don't have the expander ball in there. I take that out. And then I tumble. I'm dry tumbling right now, but I need to get back to wet tumbling because it is quicker. And then I mandrel it. I got Sinclair. I have the carbon, too. I had the stainless steel, I think, for the 6.5. And it seemed like it would drag every once in a while. I think you mentioned that, Mike. So I bought the, the carbon for the dasher for the 6 mil. 243, whatever. And it seems like it is a lot smoother. Slides in and out better. I mandrel and then I deburr, chamfer deburr trim on the Gerard. And then I throw it in a bucket. And it sits under my reloading bench and then I prime with a RBC, RCBS bench primer. And I just prime as many as I'm gonna load. I just do that right before I, before I load. And that's it for my setup. Uh, Chad, any reloading gear that you're looking forward to? I think we've kind of talked about it offline that now we're almost getting into got our rifles set the way we want them. Starting to get into upgrading, reloading stuff just to save the time piece of it. But you already talked about it. you got that, uh, that lead press. Is there any other reloading gear that you're looking forward to or thinking about getting? Or um, we'll just go gear in general shooting gear for the season or reloading gear that you're looking forward to or wanting to get? No, not right off hand. Um, I've kind of got everything settled in, so nothing new gear, gear wise. So, um, like you guys said, I'd, I'd like to find another scale, but I'll probably end up with another cup. I, I run a area 419 cup. So, you know, Dropping the coin for another one of those might bug me out, but we'll see. Yeah, same. Yeah, same here. But I think they're what, like fifty or sixty bucks. Yeah. Compared yeah. to another, well, then do you go through selling your A and D and get a couple uh, RCBS ones, or you know, to go through all that hassle? Yeah, I'll probably just drop the fifty or sixty bucks and get another cup. So this is where three D printing comes in handy. Oh yeah, so see, I just uh, so I mean it's the same concept as he had when he came. Uh, I think his name was Andy that originally ended up selling the uh, auto tricklers. But yeah, I just bought two shot glasses and then uh, 3D print the handles on there. 
and then uh, obviously I shave the handle so they're they're match weighted. But three D printing is pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Well, I think who's like in is it MK Machining? One of the companies out there doing. They do. Uh, I, I like the glass cups just because they're, in my opinion, they're a little bit lower on the static. So I get less uh, clinging kernels in the glass than I, I think I would. I've tried printing some out and it might've been my selection of materials that was poor, uh, but I got a, I had some static issues when I tried to originally just print my own cups. And then I got some shot glasses because that's uh, kind of the concept uh, that they, the original uh, auto trickler is with. And I just wanted to try something new. I, I like the glass more than the plastic. Yeah. What were you going to say, Chad? Oh, I was just say, by the time you bought a 3D printer, I could get a new scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize that I knew Mike was into some, uh, some hefty hobbies, but I didn't realize he was into RC planes. Like I thought my hobbies were expensive. Mike, you got me. But, uh, any, any, uh, reloading gear or new, um, season gear anything you're looking forward to mike yeah i am looking forward to the leica prs uh or PR, yeah the prs scope with the prb reticle i've had that on order through expert voice for over a month now wow. so theoretically it should be here within a week or two we'll see but um definitely looking forward to trying that glass i, I think the reticle design in my opinion is just from looking at it uh, trolling forums and whatnot, but I really like his concepts that he, he talks about on his website, uh, Precision Rifle Blog. Um, I've, tried, I've tried the Tremor 3 for like two years now, and it's, it reads really good on paper. Um, and there's a lot of shooters that shoot it very well, but um, I'm gonna try the PRB out to see if I like it more than the, the Tremor 3 or not. So that's the main piece of gear that I'm looking forward to. One of the things that I am doing now is because I 3D print everything, it's trying to uh, test out a concept of doing uh, vibration dampeners in my MDT ACC with a 3D printer. So I'm actually using uh, plastic called TPU, which is kind of like a rubbery plastic instead of a hard plastic. And it's it should be pretty good to dampen out vibration. So what I'm working on is removing some of the weights out of my MDT because I have it right now. It's right around 28, 29 pounds with oh. bipine. It's heavy. It don't go anywhere when you shoot it. It's great, <laughs> but it sucks to move it from point A to point B. Um, and even in a stage, like uh, reposition, I'm losing a lot of time from building position to going to a new position. And so the weight is hindering my overall performance per stage there. So it's a little too heavy, but I figure since I've got vacant slots, why don't I try to do something with the vacant slots? So um, is it gonna be effective or not? I doubt it, but you know, like um, some of the foundation stocks, they're pretty renowned for almost eliminating that firing pin vibration. I think Chad's got one, maybe he can attest to it a little bit more or not. Um, but there are some stocks out there that do a pretty good job and when you go to a, like aluminum chassis that's one of the first things i noticed is when i drop that firing pin uh there's, there's quite a bit more vibration in the aluminum chassis as opposed to like a wooden stock 
or uh, fiberglass sort of thing. So see if those dampeners work out or not. And then I'm always 3D printing something. Uh, next thing I'll probably 3D print. I've done some pretty radical designs on hand grips for the ACC. It's very easy to print hand grips for the ACC. But um, I think the trend right now, and you can see it in foundation, is to reduce the distance between your grip and your trigger finger. But we haven't seen too many designs where it's almost like flush. So that's going to be one of the next things I try is an almost flush design to see if it works or not. And if it doesn't work and it doesn't cost me a few bucks to, to print it out, but I can at least try it. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I like the sound of that uh, deadening the shot. That would be pretty cool. Too. Yeah, I've got a couple of them printed right now. And subjectively, I think it uh, reduces some of the vibration, but I don't really have a good way to test it. So it's kind of hard for me to analytically say it's better or not sort of thing. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to back on and make a, make a note of that to bring that back up, see how, see what you're yeah. figuring out with the grips and with the uh, deadening. Is that, I switched to a, a foundation too, and that was one of my first things that dry firing, I had an MPA, but I think that metal on metal, it was just, it would bounce my reticle no matter what, like how I was on the rifle, how I was doing whatever, but we'll see, that'd be cool, cool to figure out. Could be groundbreaking. Oh, Mike, Mike will be known throughout the PRS world to get something figured well, out. Well, I mean, if it's a good idea, everyone's going to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we might have to keep it quiet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, don't, po don't post this then. Uh, <laughs> we got to start over, guys, from the beginning. <laughs> no, I, I got the editing software. We'll go ahead and take that one. Out. You know, I, so one thing about precision rifle shooting is you always think it's a great idea, but I promise you there's somebody else, dozens of people that have thought of it before you, you know. Yeah, that goes yeah. from, like, calibers to well why don't they just make a higher bc bullet you know th there's more to it than that. like we're not the genius in the room yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah it's not as easy as it sounds yeah so chris how about you what do you have anything new you got for the reloading or just for the season that you're looking forward to and haven't got to play with yet try out obviously it sounds like you're just you're just messing with the ocd brass sounds like it's pretty tempting yeah, so I'm kind of interested in that. Like I said, the Peterson brass was pretty good. So, um, I mean, I'm going I'm to try to alpha out. All I've done, I think I've only fired probably 12 pieces of it at this point. But um, it is, it does look pretty promising. I want to I want to put four or five firings on, on a couple of pieces of it, just to see how it holds up. Um, but as far as the rifle goes, kind of like you guys did, I, I uh, upgraded my stock to the foundation also and then added that weight kit. Um, to it and it's 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 going from an MPA I think it made a world of difference as far as recoil management it's just it feels like it obviously no way to for me to measure it but it feels like it it, it reduced it probably 25 percent 30 percent to me it feels like um that's probably something to do with you know the pro what it's made out of and things like that but um so back at the box canyon I did pick up that 50 percent off cert for U.S. Optic um, so I ordered that uh, Foundation Series 25X with the, you know, the JVRC reticle, and I I had them put the internal bubble level, which is probably the thing I'm most excited about is to see how easy it is to to see that internal bubble level, because um, I think 
it takes a lot of uh, thought process to make sure you pay attention to your bubble level as you're shooting, especially when you get longer distances. Um, I've gotten to where I'm pretty decent at doing it, um, but I think it'll be, depending on how well you can see that bubble level inside the scope, I, it seems interesting to me. And I, at the end of the day, I guess if I don't like it, I can uh, get rid of it. But next year, I think I'm going to try to keep everything. I think I have everything the way I want it other than, you know, trying out that U.S. optic scope and playing around with the, that Alpha OCD brass. But um, I think I'm going to – next year I'm going to quit playing with that stuff. I think I'm going to – I kind of want to build some ARs and do some stuff like that. So I'm going to try to keep my my – me wanting to tinker around and play with stuff, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to play in that, play with that and keep my keep my PRS rifle the same and leave it alone because I, you know, switching calibers is it can be fun and it, but I think you you don't allow yourself to learn you know a certain a certain gun or a certain caliber and you stick with it um, and I think that's part of part of what's holding me back a little bit is just not sticking with something, um, but as far as buying new stuff, I think I kind of want looking for a different range pack, you know, so that I think I was talking to you and Chad about it, but there's a couple uh, backpacks that are made for, you know, ranges that got kind of a stiff frame at the bottom. So you can put stuff in the bottom and the stuff in the top doesn't smash down on it. And, you know, you can get your bags out and you have your ammo on the top, just stuff so that, you know, when you're at the, at the range or at a match, your stuff is stacked on top of each other just to make it easier to get stuff in and out. But as far as that goes, I'm, I might upgrade, like I was saying a minute ago, I'd like to find a way to drop powder faster, but uh, with Mike's idea, I mean, I'm probably going to try that because that's a much cheaper much cheaper option than buying a new scale or another scale and an auto throw out trickler. But, yeah, I'm probably not going to change too much. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the officer. I think I've changed about everything. So changing caliber from the BR to the Dasher, I've already shot it a couple times, but changing that, changing the foundation, um, I had, I bought 500 pieces of the old or the older alpha brass. I sold 400 of those pieces. I still have a hundred that I'm breaking my rifle in. Have some OCD brass on order from Swanee's comp gear. Wait for that to get in. Um, I bought the NX8 from you. Wait for that to get in. So I'm going to change that up. I still have the, the Razor Gen 2. So I'll compare those two and uh, see what I like. So I changed about everything. Different barrel this year shooting. CJ's Precision is spun up my barrel. That's a that's a Rock Creek barrel. So it'll be something. It'll be a different barrel for me, which I really don't think I'd be able to tell you the difference in barrels with the way I shoot. But we'll see. So about everything. So I need to get in the same boat as you. Get it all figured out, and then just leave it alone. Be done with the shoot. And we talked about. Maybe get in and do some training next year. I think that'll end up that'll help me out quite a bit. I spend some money on a little bit of training, go to some classes, and then uh, what else? I'm looking forward to. Uh, I think the, I'm not sure if you did, Mike. I know Chad and Chris and I put in our uh, packet to try and RO the finale. I think that'd be cool. Looking forward to that. Hearing back. Hey, that reminds me, Mike. You got a room I can stay in? Yeah. Come on, you've you've always got a room. you've always got a place here. That's that's one thing for the rest of the, I guess the rest of this season. I'm looking forward to get down there and see the top top guys and girls shoot. And I'm looking forward just to seeing some of the youth between 
um, oh, what's her name, Zane, and then uh, Connor shoot. I mean, some of the youth are just shooting like crazy this year. So just to be able to watch them and the top pros, males and females, that that'd be a good time. I think get down there. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool. Like PRS is almost becoming like a legit discipline now. You know, you're getting to a point where people not only setting aside practice time, but they're getting their kids involved at a, a young age. And it's just going to be crazy to see. Like I would say the level of competition over the last five years, uh, at, at least in the KPRC, like mid-pack level me now would have won stuff five years ago, you know. But the whole group progressively over the last five years has just gotten better as a whole. Uh, these guys that are shooting at the young ages that you're talking about, it's just going to be crazy to think about how proficient they're going to be when they're, you know, our age. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had Connor Jeter on. He's been doing real well. But if you haven't looked up Allison Zane, that's her first name, Allison Zane, Z-A-N-E. She won, well, Chad and Chris and I were talking about, she won a two-day match not long ago. She's like 15 years old and just smoke some adults like she's that's insane she, she is good yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen to so i'm sure she'll i'm sure she'll be at the prs finale shooting as the young gun or youth or whatever they call it for prs but i mean just yeah so that, that'll be a good time just to be down there and see that um you guys have any other shout outs or or uh, parting shots something we missed or something you guys wanted to add chad uh, no, I'm good. Mike? Uh, if you're shooting a match, it really doesn't matter how good you do as long as you're one slot above Chad. That's all I have. And make fun of his dirty brass. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Chris, how about you? Uh, nothing. No, I, all I've got, uh, Wanted to give a shout out to Swanee's comp here. I've been bugging him about this OCD brass. Called him out on the, on Facebook a couple times, asked him about shipping and stuff like that. He's been real quick. He actually hit me back on Messenger like within five minutes one time. So that's cool. I think he's he's a one man show up there. So appreciate him. Give you a shout out, Chris. You've been you've been helping me out with the supplies and just telling me what what you would go with. And well, at NX8, I looked through yours before I even had a, before I even really knew what they were, you had that one on that 6GT that you hooked me up, let me at least look through and mess around with. So pretty excited about that. Other than that, you guys don't have anything else. I appreciate you guys coming on, helping out. I think this will be a good one. I have people asking about reloading gear and, and that stuff. So I think this is at least a, a foundation we can build on, do another reloading one, and actually get down to, to numbers and why we're, doing what we're doing and the process we're doing to get to what numbers we're trying to get to when we start talking about SDs and ESs and bumping necks and, and this and that, what we're doing for it. But I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, fellas, for coming on. No problem. All right, we'll talk Thanks. to you later.